Uh, as we begin this morning, I want to share a story with you. Um, John MacArthur, you may or may not know John MacArthur, but he tells a story of something uh, foundational about the Christian life that he learned at a track meet in college. And listen to what John MacArthur says. I learned a vital spiritual lesson while participating in a track meet during my college years. I was running in the 4 by 400 meter relay at the Orange County Invitational. As a baseball player, moonlighting in track and field, I wasn't the fastest runner on our team, so I ran the second leg. Our strategy was simple. The first runner, a speedy sprinter, would get as big a lead as possible right out of the starting box. My job was merely to run a clean lap without dropping the baton. Our third man was strong and fast, and our fourth man was a blur. They could make up whatever ground I might lose. Several prestigious teams were competing that day, and our team managed to get into the finals. We were convinced we had a good shot at winning. Our first man ran a great leg and made a perfect baton pass. I managed to finish my lap in a tight battle for first place. The third man went around the curve, came halfway down the back stretch, stopped, walked off, and sat down on the grass. The race kept going. We thought he'd pulled a hamstring or twisted an ankle. We all ran across the infield expecting to find him writhing on the grass or at least wincing in pain. He wasn't. He was sitting passively. We anxiously asked, what happened? Are you hurt? He said, no, I'm okay. I just didn't feel like running. My teammates and I spontaneously responded with an outpouring of frustration, all three of us basically saying the same thing. You can't do that. You're not in this by yourself. Don't you realize the effort we've all put in to training for this? Too much has been invested in you. Well, running a race is a lot like the Christian life. It's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And in very many ways, it's a relay race. The Apostle Paul understood the relay aspect of it in particular. And John MacArthur goes on to explain the lesson he learned that day. The Apostle Paul gave this charge to Timothy in his final epistle. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was facing imminent martyrdom, and he was, of course, concerned with the question of who would continue his missionary work and who would lead the church after his departure. He therefore outlined for Timothy this simple pattern of succession and sustainability. So John MacArthur introduces us to a key idea. 2 Timothy 2.2 outlines a pattern for all of us to follow. Look at the verse again. All the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be able to teach others. John MacArthur summarizes it this way. In order to be faithful stewards of what we've received, each of us needs to pass on to others what we've been taught. In other words, every Christian ought to be a teacher. No matter who you are, you could find someone who knows less than you and teach them. That responsibility is inherent in our Lord's great commission, make disciples. Well, today we draw our series Wildfire to a close, and we looked at a lot of different parts of the book of Acts, and if you were here this summer for our women's Bible study, you were able to explore even more of the book of Acts through that, and if you participated in the summer reading plan, you went all the way through the book of Acts, even the passages we didn't look at on Sunday mornings. And as we've journeyed through this book of Acts in our series Wildfire, we've learned a lot from some big key figures, uh, big names in the early church. Peter has taught us several things. Philip's taught us some things. And, you know, there's more things we could explore, more lessons we could learn from the book. It's, it's full of amazing stories and, and amazing people. 
and has more than a few unsung heroes, people flying under the radar but still making amazing impact. And, and right at the beginning of the book, in fact, there's some, some unsung heroes. Way back in chapter 1, there's a group of people we didn't talk about at the beginning of the summer, but they had incredible impact on the early church. The kind of role that they play uh, reminds me of, of the, uh, a key lesson and right at the beginning of the book. If you remember, we talked about Acts chapter 1 and 2, and, and there's some unsung heroes in those chapters. They're folks just like you and me, folks who don't get enough credit for the disciple-making work that they did. I'm talking about a group known as the 120, and that's not a hardcore street gang. That's a group of people who were gathered together with uh, the 12 disciples right after Jesus left. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we read this verse, Acts 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So, so there's this group gathered together, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, uh, just as Jesus commanded them to. And, and these, these 120, they're people who knew Jesus, they walked with him, they, they learned from him all those things. But who are these people? I mean, what happens to them after this, this verse, this little moment? Well, there's not a lot of detail, but we can glean a few observations. As we get into the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first sermon. and 3,000 people are added to the church. So now they've got this huge group of people that needs to be discipled. Who's going to do it? The 120. These unnamed folks, they're just faithfully living out what Jesus taught. Acts 2 tells us these 3,000 people met in homes all over the city. Well, who was willing to open up their homes and lead these church gatherings? The 120. These folks were growing into leadership roles just by doing the things that Jesus knew, uh, that Jesus wanted them to do. That they're faithfully providing, partnering in ministry, planting new disciples all over the place. We got more than 120 people here each and every Sunday, more than 120 of us who are disciples. Some of us have been disciples for a really long time. And the faithfulness of these 120, these unnamed disciples, is is an example, a model for us, something we can all look to as a, a faithful inspiration, what it means to be a disciple who makes other disciples. And in the chapter we're going to look at today, we see two more examples. We see a ministry couple. That's just a dynamic example of aligning their whole lives around making disciples. The folks we're going to learn from today, they're faithful, faithful followers of Jesus who who spend their lives living out this principle that Paul tells us. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Our primary text this morning, the place where we're going to spend our time, is Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. And in Acts 18, we see this couple, this married couple, that's a wonderful example of how to pass on the baton. I want us to look at the example they have for us. And so we're just going to highlight some lessons from their ministry, three different lessons. And just to to give us some helpful context as we dive in, at this point in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, they've traveled all over the place and they've established a bunch of churches here and there. And after that, the, the gospel message is spread to Gentiles, to non-Jews, which is wonderful. And has created even more opportunities for Paul and his companions to travel to different places and, and plant churches. And so at the beginning of Acts 18, Paul arrives in the city of Corinth. That's where we're going to pick up the story. And what we see right away is this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, this, this dynamic couple, play a role in Paul's work. In fact, we'll see three different roles that they play, and they're three roles that, that you and I can play as well. And the first role that they fill is the role of provider, providers. 
They spend a lot of their lives providing opportunities for ministry to happen. And we meet Priscilla and Aquila right at the beginning of Acts 18. Uh, That's the chapter we're in today. And uh, we meet them here, but they're mentioned several times in the Bible. uh, We're going to look at several places where they're mentioned. And they fled persecution in Rome. The Emperor Claudius was was persecuting Jews there in Rome, and so they come to Corinth. That's where we, we meet them and we meet Paul. Look at Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So one of the big themes that runs through the life of Priscilla and Aquila is God's sovereign control. What I mean by that is is that God is at work behind the scenes in all kinds of different circumstances in their lives. Good things happening and bad things happening in order to to really put them in situations where God can can do the things that he wants to do through them. And, And in this passage, we find that Priscilla and her husband, they're from Italy, from Rome, but they have to relocate to Corinth not because they got a great job offer or a relocation package, but because they had no choice. They're they're fleeing persecution. Uh, They're Jews, and the Emperor Claudius passed this law expelling all the Jews from Rome, so they have no choice but to leave. And, And again, God uses these circumstances to really position them exactly how he wants them. And it's just an interesting side note, uh, this, this edict from Claudius, it's a real thing. I mean, the Bible lines up with history uh, here, and uh, history tells us Claudius passed this law banning all the Jews from Rome because of riots. Uh, apparently, there was a lot of trouble, Jews being stirred up over some things the emperor didn't really fully understand, but, but he banished the Jews from Rome uh, because uh, of indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus. So that's a quote uh, from an ancient source describing this banishment of the Jews. And uh, Crestus kind of sounds a little bit like Christ. It's not 100% if that's the same person, but it's a strong possibility. It's very likely there was a lot of debate and, and trouble around uh, the, the topic of Jesus. And Claudius saw that as a danger, decided he would just act swiftly and, and kill the problem. But again... God uses even seemingly bad circumstances in order to position Priscilla and Aquila how he wants them so they can provide for ministry. And so they land here in Corinth and they set up shop as tent makers. Uh, That's the job that Paul had as he funded a lot of his ministry efforts. And in this case, it seems like he worked and, and maybe even lived with Priscilla and Aquila. And he very likely led them to faith. I mean, they're Jews, but you couldn't spend a whole lot of time around Paul without hearing the gospel and responding to that. And so God orchestrated this relocation in their lives uh, in order to, to bring them to salvation. They, they met up with Paul, and, and he led them to faith. They become believers because of their time spent here in Corinth. The baton was passed to them. And that's when they really become providers. It seems that they utilize their tent-making business as a way to help fund Paul's ministry work. And we put all the pieces of their lives together. We're going to kind of do that as we go through this morning. Um, It seems that they're pretty successful business people. And even though they're forced to leave Rome, uh, they're able to maintain a business there, their home there. So they have some financial means. They had some servants probably who could continue to run things in their absence. And so here in Corinth, they're not exactly starting from scratch, financially speaking. They're really kind of opening up a, a second branch of their tent-making business, if you will. And they bring Paul on as a partner. 
And so they're able to begin their ministry just by providing for Paul the work that he's doing. In fact, take a look at the very next paragraph, verse 5. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul is able to stop work as a tent maker and focus only on ministry. And, and part of that comes from the fact that Silas and Timothy come with some money from other churches. But, but Paul is able to sustain that because Priscilla and Aquila are now providing for the ministry. So the first thing that this dynamic couple models for us is providing. That's their initial role. And maybe that's a role that you have. Maybe, uh, maybe that's all you feel like you can take on, you know, for whatever reason, your, your schedule or health concerns, some other limitations. You don't feel like you can serve here in a significant way. But I want you to see the role that Priscilla and Aquila play initially. They simply provide for ministry. They use their lives to provide so that others can use their gifts to do ministry. The next chapter for them, for Priscilla and Aquila, is that they shift from being providers to becoming partners. Partners. Take a look at how they shift into this new role. Not long after they become believers, they launch into a really a fabulous ministry partnership. As you look at different places where they're mentioned in the Bible, they're always mentioned together. Uh, sometimes Priscilla's name comes first, sometimes Aquila's does. It's just an indication that they're partners. Uh, they're, a, they're a team working together, and it's that way in their business, and, and even more so, it seems, in their ministry. And, and I'll be straightforward with you. One of the reasons I wanted to look at this passage together was because I thought it'd be a good way to talk about the role of women in the early church. We could learn some things about what women did. And, you know, we're not going to exhaust that topic this morning, but let's start with just simply looking at what women did in the New Testament. That's an important deposit there. And just notice, here's a couple that's serving the Lord together, a partnership. They're always mentioned together, and very often Priscilla's name comes first. And, and as they grow, they shift in roles from, from just uh, providing to now partnering. They become partners with Paul. Look a little bit further down the chapter, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. Then they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So at the, the beginning of this chapter, Paul arrives in Corinth and he, he founded the Corinthian church, Priscilla and Aquila, a big part of that, and they provided financially for Paul, the ministry he's doing there. But over the course of their time, they obviously grew. They grew in their faith and grew in how they lived out that faith. And over time, it seems that Paul trusts them more and more, and so much so that their role shifted from providers to now to partners. They're partnering with Paul in doing this ministry. Notice in this passage we just looked at, Paul goes to Ephesus, a new place to start some ministry there, and he decides to take Priscilla and Aquila along with them, not just because of their financial support, but because they're now partners. And they become indispensable, so valuable to him, in fact, that Paul leaves Ephesus knowing that the church there is going to be in good hands with people like Priscilla and Aquila. Paul leaves, he goes on to the next town, and so it's clear that Priscilla and Aquila are not just financial providers anymore. They have an increased role. They're partners. They're doing ministry alongside Paul and even in his absence. So just like the 120 that we talked about, they're partnering in ministry. 
And just like some of those 120, they're hosting a church. They have a church that meets in their home. After Paul did all this ministry in Corinth, he he later wrote a letter to them. And at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians, he says this. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. So they're not only providing for ministry, but they're partners, teaching and leading this church that meets at their house. So let's keep learning from Priscilla and Aquila. They become such capable partners that they're able to change the trajectory of another person the way that their own trajectory had been changed. You know, when they first met Paul, they're just business people. They're fine people. They're nice people. But they're not living in a way necessarily for the Lord. I can only imagine that their initial decision to work with Paul was, was entirely economic, right? They, they thought, hey, we're getting this new business off the ground. It'd be helpful to have another hardworking tent maker around, right? So they partnered with him as much for their own benefit as for his. But then Paul changed their lives. He introduced them to the gospel, And just as they had their lives changed by the gospel, radically altering the way that they lived, now they get to do it with other people. They were providers, and now they become partners here in Ephesus. And to see the extent of how much they grew, uh, look with me at Acts 18, verse 24. 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So here we see one specific way they partnered with Paul. This man, Apollos, comes to Ephesus, and he's a strong addition to the church. Uh, He's smart. But more than that, he, he's smart about the scriptures, right? He knows them well. He's, he's got some really solid teaching. He knows his stuff. And, and he's telling all kinds of folks about the Messiah, this one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And even better than being smart, he's really passionate. This passage tells us he spoke with great fervor. That word translated great fervor, it's actually an, an idiom, a figure of speech. And literally it says he boiled over. His spirit boiled over with passion for the word of God. He, he understands his unique gifting and he uses gifts with passion. Do you boil over with passion for the word of God? Are you excited to tell people about what God is teaching you? I mean, we're all called to pass the baton on to other people. Does that make us excited? Or is that something we just take for granted? Maybe you think, well, I'm not really a teacher. That's not my gift. Okay, but we're all called to pass the baton on, to be willing and and to be passionate about opening up the Scriptures and sharing with other people what's happening, just like the 120, just like Priscilla and Aquila, just like Apollos. You don't have to be a formal teacher to pass the baton on. Apollos is doing it. He's not even a Christian yet, but he still has a passion for the Scriptures, for doing what God has equipped him to do. Later on in the fall, uh, just a few weeks, in fact, uh, we'll be talking about this idea of of calling, what we're called to do. And and for some of us, we've got a strong sense of that. We're living that out. Uh, But for a lot of us, we're kind of confused, kind of muddled about that, just sort of going through the motions, maybe wondering if there's something else that God might have for us. And the example of Apollos here is a person who's just boiling over with passion for what God has him doing. Let's be a church that's marked with that kind of passion. 
passing on the word of God, living out our calling, passing on the baton with boiling passion. So Apollos has this passion. He really only has one flaw. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. He knows all the things the Bible says about this person who will come and who will be the Messiah. He's just missing the detail that the Messiah came and his name is Jesus. So Apollos, he's a fascinating character. We don't know a lot about him, but, but what we hear about him is, is so helpful. He's a Jew, the passage tells us. He's from Alexandria. That's a, a town that was a major city in the ancient world, famous in part for its library. It's a real center of learning and education. And so, so he, he's a smart fellow. He's probably well-educated. And the passage tells us he has a, a thorough knowledge of scriptures. I hope that the same thing can be said of us. That alone ought to be an example for us to aspire to. And yet, yet right away as we're introduced to him, we we can see that there's something he doesn't know. He knows of the baptism of John, talking about John the Baptist, but he doesn't seem to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you recall way back in Acts 1, Jesus told his disciples, the 120, he said, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, we talked about Cornelius and his household being uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit when Peter shared the gospel with them. But that's how Jesus describes the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The original apostles, they were baptized by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to accomplish the mission of the church, the making of disciples. And here's Apollos. He wants to be making disciples, and yet he's missing something really vital. He's missing that role of the Holy Spirit that tells us he's not yet a Christian because uh, the Holy Spirit comes to any person who puts their faith in Jesus. When you make a decision to accept Christ, the, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers and guides everyone who is a believer. But the passage tells us he only knows about John's baptism. Again, that's John the Baptist. As Jesus was living out his earthly ministry, John is baptizing people. And his baptism was really uh, about repentance and about preparation, preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. But for Apollos, he's, he's living after the Messiah has come. He lived, he taught, he died, he was raised from the dead. So preparation's not really what's needed Something else is needed, and, and Priscilla and Aquila are able to provide what he needs. And now it's worth noting, Priscilla and Aquila, they're not exactly seasoned Christians. They didn't grow up in the church. They've only been believers for a, really a short time. But they see this responsibility to grow Apollos, to, to pass on the baton, to help him shape his ministry. It's a perfect example of Second Timothy 2.2 we started with. They're faithful witnesses to what Paul has taught, And they're passing that on to Apollos, who's going to go and pass it on to many other people. So they're partners in ministry. There's one more role that Priscilla and Aquila model for us, one more chapter in their ministry story. They come to understand being partners is great, it's valuable, but there's something even better than that. Better than just partnering with Paul in ministry or partnering with Apollos, they can really multiply their impact. So they become not just partners, but planters planters. And this happens a couple of different ways. First, let's look at what happens after they meet with Apollos, after they help him understand the truth about Jesus. Look at verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So after they train Apollos, They send him out. 
Apollos goes to another region in order to share the gospel there, and he's sent out in part by Priscilla and Aquila. They commission him to go and spread the gospel, planting new churches where the gospel's needed. I told you that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned several other places in the Bible besides here in Acts 18. I want us to just look at one more verse, one of those places uh, briefly, so we can see them in this role as planters. Look at uh, Romans 16. I'll put it on the screen here. Uh, at the end of the book of Romans, uh, Paul wraps up his letter with some greetings, personal greetings for some folks he knows. And listen to this greeting from Romans 16, verse 3. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So here we see Priscilla and Aquila mentioned again, only this time they're back in Rome. They made it back there and they have a church there. They've planted a church in their home, multiplying their impact. And Paul gives them a stunning commendation. They risk their lives for me, he says. And all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. That's evidence of lives well-led by this dynamic ministry couple. They're partners who became planters, multiplying their impact. Every church in the region owes a debt of gratitude to them. Well, guess what? We're a church of Gentiles, almost exclusively. So we owe something to them as well. Right? Even centuries later, this effect is still felt. They still hold out an example for us how to pass the baton well. So what part of this story resonates with you? I mean, maybe for you, the place where you are today is provider. And maybe like me, you're, you're neck deep in raising kids, or maybe work takes all your energy, giving a lot of your extra time is hard. Or maybe you feel like you don't even have that much to offer beyond financial support. Okay. That might be the place where you are right now, but you could learn from this example. You could be a provider. Priscilla and Aquila, they made financial decisions. They, they made business decisions based on how they might best provide for ministry. Maybe for you, providers, a role you've played. Maybe you need to be challenged to a next step, to a new role, one of partner. Maybe it's time to really engage at a higher level, time to serve. We've got so many opportunities to, for you to be plugged in. Uh, later in the fall, we're going to be talking again about uh, how to get clearer on specific ways God's called us to serve him. But for now, you can serve so many different ways right here at Trinity. Uh, maybe that's a role you need to step into. Over the next few weeks, we're going to have a display out here in the lobby where you can sign up and serve all kinds of different opportunities. Uh, you heard Becky, our children's ministry director, talk about just some really easy ways to engage, some fun ways to engage with kids' ministry. Uh, you can grab a connection card, mark your connection card in order to help with that. So, so partner is a critical role for so many of us. But maybe God's calling you to something even bigger than that. Maybe not by planting a church the way Priscilla and Aquila do here, but there's other ways you can multiply your impact, passing the baton on to others, the things that you've learned. In fact, let me just ask a question. Everybody who's uh, older than me, you can draw your own conclusions on that. Uh, if you're older than me, who in your life can you champion? What's a younger person in your life that you can, can come alongside, can encourage, can challenge, can help grow that person. Maybe it's somebody here at the church. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's just somebody you work with, you know. 
but everybody who's my age and older, we've been around, we've done some things, we've made some mistakes, learned some things, hopefully, raised your kids, been through a job transition or two, all those kinds of life experiences. There's younger people who need that wisdom. Younger people right here at Trinity, younger people that you know who need that wisdom. So pass those things on. Multiply your impact by investing in somebody younger than you. Help lead a person through those stages of life. Just go for it. We talk a lot about being a multi-generational church, which is awesome, but this is really where the rubber meets the road on that kind of a thing. Those of us who have been through some things, we got the responsibility to invest in people who are younger. Just go for it. I'll, I'll tell you, I did this not long ago. I'll just tell you what I did. So simple. Uh, I bought a guy lunch, and I said, hey, you're probably curious why I bought you lunch, you know, because he's 20 years younger than me. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a little curious. And I said, well, I, I see this in your life, and I see this in your life, and I see this other thing in your life. And let me tell you, I, I did this, and I failed at that, and I did this several times, and I just think I could maybe help you through some of these things. I said, it's no accident. I think that God showed these things to me, and and if you want some help, I, I'd be happy to kind of guide you through that. That's all I did. It was that simple, you know. Just go for it. Just multiply your impact. And if you're a person who's uh, younger, on the younger end, you know, I want you to be inspired by the examples that we looked at here. People who, who align their entire lives around serving the Lord and, and, and multiplying their impact. That's a, that's a thing to shoot for, you know, not just earning money for yourself, not just starting business for yourself, but doing all those things in a way that really multiplies disciples and multiplies impact for the Lord. Those are things that we can do. One of the things we say around Trinity all the time is we're a church that's built on next steps. I mean, that's the whole reason we've got these, uh, these adult classes, to help prepare you for next steps, to take you on the journey, the things that, that you need to know. And everybody has a next step. Right? The example of Priscilla and Aquila show us you can always take next steps in how we grow, how we serve, how we engage other people, how we can pass on the things that God has done in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we are inspired by this example, this example that uh, comes directly from you and your great commission to make disciples who then go and make other disciples. We want to be people who are passing on the baton. And uh, I pray that you would just eliminate the barriers for that. Help us to see people that are in our lives that could use the things that you've taught us, that could, that could uh, use our support, that could use our partnering, that could use uh, our multiplication of impact, Lord. We want to be people who are, are living with your priorities. And that's the example that we see in the scripture. We're grateful for the examples and that you've challenged us with this morning and pray that you would just drive those things home, put them into real life practice in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.